We're going to have the reading of the scripture now. It's in, taken from Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 to 18, and it's found on page 1185 in the church Bibles. Colossians 4, 7 to the end of the chapter. It's a section of final greetings of Paul's letter. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. But an ancient parish church that has lots of colorful windows and inscriptions on the wall. The son hasn't been to church before and his father thought at least he should give him some exposure to what church is like. It's what was a high church. And as the priest is leading, uh, following the verger who's holding the cross, swinging the incense, the little boy who is constantly asking questions about what does this mean, what's that, why is that there, says to his daddy, why is that lady's handbag on fire? That was the, that was the first thing that he asked. And then, in the course of the service, he sees all sorts of things and he sees a scroll on the wall with a list of names and dates. So he says to his father, what does that mean? And his father's getting a bit annoyed and he's asking so many questions. He said, look, I'll tell you this and then I'm not going to answer you anymore. That is a list of the people who died in the services. And immediately he said... <laughs> Was that the morning or the evening? <laughs> That's the trouble with lists. They may mean something very profoundly if members of your family were on that. But apart from that, it's a distant memory and no less so distant than the list that we have in front of us uh, and some that are hard to, uh, to describe properly. Well, here we are. And uh, I think we've got two 
main and basic lessons from this final section in Colossians. The first is this. It does tell us the sort of person that Paul was. The sort of pastor, leader, apostle if you like, that he was. And we'll see that in a moment in terms of... And may I say this, the sort of people whom we choose to meet with say something about us as well, whatever that is. Do we have the capacity to cope and relate to people who are so very different to us? Or are we actually rather dismissive of such people? The sort of person that he was, and secondly, the sort of people who make up the church. The church. That marvellous, yet exasperating organisation, company of people from all sorts of walks of life and background. Well, those are the two things, that two lessons, if you like, that we can learn from this list. The first then, the sort of person Paul was. And what comes out in this uh, sort of final greetings, if you like, as it is here, is that he had a great capacity to mix with a variety of people. He not only knew the people by name, and some of us perhaps are not very good at remembering names, but he cared deeply for his fellow believers. And, and he just doesn't list names. He makes some comments. Uh, not all complimentary. He's not just being nice. Yours sincerely. You'll see in the course of it he says some very pertinent things. Can't help but think, how would you feel if that was publicly said about you or me? He had a great capacity for people. Secondly, he had a great capacity for delegating. In the past, I confess, and we had our leaders retreat yesterday to being a very bad delegate. It's often easier to do it yourself. At least you think that way it'll get done properly. So you think. But for sure, if you delegate, it will get done differently. And the danger is, of course, to interfere once you've asked someone to do something. So look in verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. It's this sort of two-way communication as to what was happening in the life of the Apostle Paul. Fellow workers, would somebody put that next to you? Well, let me ask you, what do you do that would make you or me a fellow worker? In other words, here is Paul. It's not a one-man job, a one-man show, that everything revolves around him, and when he moves away, everything collapses like a pack of cards. It's often true, and I've seen it, that when, when a pastor has been in a church, it's when he has moved away is the true test of his ministry, not when he's there. Does everything revolve around him? Here is Paul, you see, his great capacity to delegate. It is a sharing ministry. A sharing ministry. And I would say to you, even today, that there are some church leaders and pastors who are very slow to learn this lesson. That it is God's work and God's grace working in our lives, corporately and individually. 
And the third lesson that we have here, the sort of person that Paul was, is a capacity for such a diverse group of people, not simply the people that he liked. A great capacity for delegating, accepting things that are done in a different way, perhaps in a lesser way even. And, and thirdly, he had a, a great capacity for staying focused. As we shall see now, these strong personalities of people that he worked with, it is very easy just to simply fall out and move on and start again. What you get with Paul here, someone who's able to hang in, in strained relations that are just hanging on by his fingernails almost. It is a community of grace. So there's no letting up, there's no giving in, there's no contracting out. The, in other words, to, to quote D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. And, and in church life and in our personal life, there are so many distractions. Easy. And we get distracted from the main thing. You say, well, what is the main thing? The main thing is this, that the gospel makes inroads in people's lives and the church grows in its transforming power. Are we then prepared to be a people's person? A people's person. If so, then you have to change your mindset and be much more accommodating. You're going to have to give people the benefit of the doubt. You're not going to prejudge. You're going to say, where does God's grace come into this strained relationship? In other words, are we going to think like believers who have the Holy Spirit or are we going to regress back simply into the old ways of doing things and saying things? If we are a people's person, then we are going to enjoy deep relationships. But, along with that, we are going to experience deep hurts. Just think of your own family. The people who are closest to you, often the people who can hurt you the most. And I think that's why some people don't allow people near to them. They build a wall around them. If you're going to be a people's person, particularly in the context of church, then you're going to have to change your mindset. This is what we learn here. Authentic love brings personal enrichment that is deeply humbling and deeply satisfying. But I say this to you as well, immediately, and it's not a contradiction. It's this, then you must brace yourself also for disappointment and personal hurt. That's what we like. That's what we like. Uh, I've used this quote so many times, but it's got a lot of mileage in it. Just listen to this. C.S. Lewis thinking about the loss in his personal life. And he says this. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Face it now. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If, however, and it's your choice, if, however, 
you want to make sure that it is kept intact, you must give your heart to no one, ever. Not even to an animal. This is what you must do. You must wrap it up carefully around with your own hobbies and your selfish interests, your little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket of your selfishness. Or, he says in brackets, in the coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and it will be forever irredeemable. And it's as if by the Spirit it says, now the choice is yours. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? He has a list of names, but behind them is history, story, hurts, baggage, wrongs, failures, joys, blessings. And what a surprise they are. That's the point, isn't it? What you have here is 11 people who are named. I just want now to, to go to the second point, which is so connected. The sort of person Paul was, is it the sort of person I am? Or have I narrowed down my options that actually I'm not prepared to rub shoulders or get involved? So, no thank you. There are consequences when we do, and there are consequences when we don't. We might have done it consciously or unconsciously. Consequences there are. What about these land people that are named then? Let's look at it under a few headings, first of all. The first, those who took the greetings. What a surprise this is. A complete turnaround. Uh, Tychicus, a fellow servant, verses 7 and 8. And in comes this uh, Onesimus. For those of us who know our, our Bible, we'll, you will know that there's a one-page letter in the New Testament called Philemon. And Onesimus was in Philemon's house where the church was. And Onesimus decides to do a runner, to abscond. And he fi finds himself in Rome, in jail, with, wonder of wonders, this strange person, Paul. And so begins a relationship. Now then, one thing about Onesimus, you can just imagine, he comes to faith he has the transforming power of God, but he's got so many things in his life that need to be sorted out. And you can imagine that he might think, well, now if I'm a Christian, everything's all right. And you know what Paul says to him? No, it isn't. Onesimus, if you are going to go forward, you've got to go back. Go back to Philemon. Go, go back to that house. Go back to Colossae. In fact, I'll tell you what, you go back and I'll give you a letter. Do we need to do that? Have we s such unresolved things and we say, oh, it's okay now, and yet five years up the road it surfaces again and again and again. Unresolved issues. It's a, it's, a, it's a remarkable lesson. And how does he talk to this scoundrel? He says, he is a dear brother. Dear brother. Those who took the greetings. Secondly, those who sent greetings. 
in verses 10 to 14, uh, you've got uh, Aristarchus, a fellow prisoner. What was he doing in jail? One of the remarkable things of the Alpha course is this. How many prisoners have come to a living faith in these last five years? It's quite astonishing. And those of us who heard Jonathan Aitken at our men's breakfast is, is involved in that, in that ministry. Was he there because he deserved to be? We don't know. But he is referred to there as a fellow prisoner. Maybe he would spend the rest of his life, maybe he's a lifer, who knows. Now then, what about Mark? Mark, a restored failure. Now he's got history, isn't he? Just turn to the book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 15. Mark was a thorn in the flesh of Paul. You know, sometimes some people say, you know, everybody's got to carry their cross and I'm yours. Well, that was Mark. And in in Acts chapter 15 and verse 36, here it is. You know, Christians are always nice people, aren't they? And they're always lovely to each other and kind and they never say anything nasty. Here is an almighty quarrel between two of the leaders in the church, Barnabas and Paul. And they're filled with the Spirit, by the way. So don't be sentimental. Don't sanitize the Bible. So, Mark, a restored failure. Look at this. Sometime later, Paul and Barnabas, who are such strong friends, bonds of friendship run deep with them, said, let's go back and visit the brothers and all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Let's go and see how these young, fledgling churches are developing. Barnabas wanted to take John, there he is, called Mark. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with him in the work. They had such, there it is, mark it well, a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And the parting of company, they were never really to work properly together ever again. So when you criticize the church, ask yourself, what am I like? Because the church is people and leaders are imperfect. Don't put leaders on pedestals. You'll be disillusioned. But you see that, such a quarrel, a disagreement. Now it's one thing to do it privately, but what about doing it publicly where the church hears about it? What's all that about? But now, Mark is restored. And the grace of God has so worked in his life that God has brought restoration and healing and greater purpose. Jesus is a good name. Verse 11. Jesus, a co-worker. Just like the Hebrew version Joshua. It's quite common in those days for people to call their children Jesus. And, and here you have it uh, in, in verse uh, 11. You have received instruction about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is also called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among the fellow workers of the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Isn't that lovely? Paul in his imprisonment. Epaphras, 
a hard worker. Somebody who just gets on with it without making any fuss. And Luke was Paul's thorn in the flesh, physical, psychological, whatever. Luke was a dear friend. We need people like that, don't we? No, no, no. We don't need people like that. We need to be people like that. You be a dear friend. And you'll have a dear friend. And Demas, a future liability. He's an apostle. And I guess he would be one of these people who would have broken Paul's heart. Turn to 2 Timothy 4 and verse 10. Page 1197 in the Church Bible. 1197. 2 Timothy 4. Just to see this. Just to try to make uh, some connection very quickly. 2 Timothy 4 verse 10. This is a hard time in Paul's life. Personal remarks again. And and so, verse 9. Do your best to come to, to me quickly. For Demas... Because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Christians has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. And then the deserter, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Interesting flashback, isn't it? It's never the end of the story when, when you fall out. So let's come back to this final uh, section then. There you have it. Those who sent the greetings. What a variety of people they were. How diverse, how different. Thirdly, those who received the greetings. Those who were on the receiving end of this letter, verses 15 to 17. Well, first of all, the obvious, the whole church meeting in the house. Not nearly as many of us here today, I suspect. In fact, you know... It's only in the first sort of 300 years of the history of church that we started building special buildings. The people are the church. It's the people. We need to keep saying that. It's the people. The church is the people. The people are the church. So verses 15 to 16, here it is. Uh, Where are we? Colossians. Yeah, there it is. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea, it's a neighboring church, and to Nympha and the church in her house. So you get the church family, 15 and 16, and says, then after this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church, the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from them. So two churches exchanging letters from Paul and experiencing God's grace. So let's bring this to a conclusion. Those who received the greetings, the church, and the first woman to be mentioned, Nympha, the hostess. There she is, opening your home to people week in, week out. Home groups and meetings is, is a ministry that we probably don't appreciate. And that's what she did. One of the great unsung heroes will have a wonderful welcome into glory. Those who received the greetings. Because she didn't see it like that. She just did it. That was just the sort of thing that she felt God wanted her to do. And then finally, and an interesting one, a sting in the tail. A bit of a, a rap over the knuckles for the pastor. What, what do you make of this? 
tell Archippus, here it is, publicly, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. Now, I wonder how you, if you were in your home group, just think for a moment, what would you say? Is that, uh, is he saying, look, for goodness sake, get on with it. Finish it. Don't leave things half done. So here is the pastor of the church who is mentioned like this. What, how, just think independently of, for a moment, how would you interpret that? Because Paul is very direct with him. It's a direct message. See to it that you complete the work you received in the Lord. Let me make some suggestions to you which you might be thinking about. Was he weary? Was he worn out? Did he feel that he'd been taken for granted? Was he in danger of just giving up and thinking, well, what's the point? Was he discouraged that actually he couldn't be bothered? Was he getting sidetracked by some sort of new teaching that was the thing and being led down some sort of blind alley? Was he drifting? Did he have a problem morally, spiritually? Was it relationships? Well, I mean, I could, the, the list is endless. But the thing is that Paul addressed him personally and said, now look, you've started something. See that you finish it, but finish it in the Lord. It's the Lord's work. It's not yours. It's his. Finish it. Finish it. I wonder how the church responded to that. And with these words, to Archippus, the letter comes to a conclusion. The list of greetings comes to an end, rather abruptly, putting the pastor on the spot. Perhaps you should say he shouldn't do that, but Paul did. Let's sum it up. Think about this church and think about this list. Some were Jews, some were Gentiles. Some were men, one was a woman. Some were free, some were slaves. Some were successful, some were failures. Some of this church began really well, but ended badly. Some began badly and ended well. Is that not the church today? Is that not this church? A mere boring list of names? Not so. As God's grace impacts our lives. That's the church today. Just as varied. Just as complicated. Just as happy. Just as hurting. And that's this church. And when you complain next, say, what am I really complaining about? And when I am criticizing, what am I actually criticizing? Is there something within me that I'm bringing to the problem, or is it the problem itself? So it's over. Except for one little word, where Paul ends as he began, with this one word, grace. As if to say, 
Now never forget that you are a grace community. And if you are void of grace, then you have nothing to give. One of the things that I said yesterday to us as leaders is this. When we think about our role and our failures and our attempts to serve God, just put it like this, that God is not mad at you. He is mad about you. To be mad at you is guilt. To be mad about you is grace. It's grace. And these people, complicated with all sorts of backgrounds and failures and blessings and successes, in the end it's all about grace. The grace that we receive through Jesus Christ. And as we receive this grace, live it out. Ask yourself, in the cold facts of day, what alternative would you have? Where would you go? Or would you say with great realism like Peter, to whom can we go to? You have the words of eternal life. You have grace. And no one else. Grace. Grace. Yes, a list of names. But names, people in whom God's grace was experienced and God's power revealed. And that I hope you appreciate is the church, the living church of Jesus Christ.